Librarians, librarians, when you've got questions, they're the ones to help you find what you're looking for, and maybe even something more. Just ask, ask that librarian. Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm Robin. And welcome back to another episode of Your Friendly Neighborhood Librarians. Oh, welcome, welcome. Yes, this is exciting as always. I think we yeah. say that at the beginning of every episode. So I'm but we're always to, excited. Oh, yeah, we're excitable people. What can you do? Yeah. So today we have one of, you know, a Pittsburgh native here. We have Ravi Mongo. Yeah. He is the author of The Observant and Understudies. His writing has appeared in The Atlantic, The Nation, Jacobin, The Kenyan Review, Cincinnati Review, Mid-American Review, Salon, The Paris Review Daily, Quarterly West, American Short Fiction, Tin House Online, and The Los Angeles Review of Books. He lives in Rochester, New York. And welcome to the show, Ravi. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. We're very excited that you're here. Yeah, yes. I'm excited to be here. Fabulous. Yeah. We both finished your book recently. I read it about a month ago, and it, it's one of those books that stayed with me. So kudos to you on that. It was published, what, last year in 2022? I believe May of last year is when it came out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I just finished it last night, and it's a small book. It yeah. is a short book, but it says it on the back, short and powerful. But it's like you have these fantastic characters and this super fully fleshed story was that your intention going in? Did you intend to write a short book? I don't think I've ever figured out how to write a long book. Mm. I think I went into this thinking that I had a very big idea. And I'm like, I'm going to write a 400-page novel. Mm. And then I got to the end of it, and it's like, you know, 150 pages. So I, I tend to edit a lot in my head before I even get to the page mm -hmm. and write in short bursts and almost vignette style. Sure. And you said you had a big idea and you thought, you know, 400 pages. Can you just kind of unpack what was the inspiration for this book and just lay out the premise for us a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So in the 80s, a South Korean film director, very famous at the time, Shin Sang-ok, was kidnapped by the North Korean government and then forced to make propaganda cinema under Kim Jong-il at the time. It was a story that always stayed in my head as something that was extremely curious, almost stranger than fiction type of idea. So I always wanted to play with that in some way, repurpose it, take that concept and find some application for it. So this book concerns an Indian American documentary filmmaker who is captured in a kind of composite authoritarian country that draws from a number of influences and then forced to make a kind of praise-filled documentary for that country's notorious dictator. That's generally the gist of it and kind of exists in a, a hyper-reality where it's grounded in a kind of realism, but there are also things that push the edges of that a little bit. Wow. You did a lot of interviews about this book when it first came out, and I really enjoyed the one um, Justin O'Connor for the Rochester Beacon. He wrote a great piece and had a great interview with you, which I encourage folks to look up. So in it, he wrote, and I quote, pen by hand in cafes in the Rochester Central Library. Shout out to MCLS right there. Mm -hmm. The 150-page work was the culmination of a weeks-long writing session spaced out over the past five years. It was partially inspired by his background in organizing and activism, and he saw the story as an opportunity to talk about authoritarianism in many forms. So just to go back to the first half of that, so about five years it took to write this, and it says right here, you do this in long form, and then you type it out. Yeah, this took about five years. I don't have as much free time as I'd like with my full-time job, so it would often be writing in one, two-week bursts during times when I had vacation. But yeah, I, I write everything by longhand still. I think that I have not figured out how to draft things just by typing on the computer. So my habit is writing longhand and then transferring it. So this was all written 
in a journal and then transfer it over to a computer. And so I imagine you kind of unpacked already for us, you know, the kernel of the idea here with the filmmakers kidnapping and being forced to, to you know, film movies for that. But you're writing, this puts us, what, around 2016, 2017 when you started? About that. So there's, I would imagine there's a lot of novels and such and literature that's been fueled by the turbulent times, we'll say, around then. Is that kind of the same for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think 2016, 2017, political climate made it feel like a more political novel was what I wanted to do. So yeah, that was definitely an influence. And you do work in politics as I well, do. right? Yeah, my full time job is in politics. And I think for a long time, there was very much a kind of partition between the writing work that I did. And then what I did for my day job, I mm-hmm. thought of them as two very separate things. I think over time, it's felt like they've merged much more and a lot more of it is coming out in my writing. It feels like we're in a very turbulent time generally. Mm-hmm. And I want to not be able to push that side of me away and find ways to bring it into fiction, nonfiction and the writing I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Do you find that is therapeutic the right word or is that, you know, an outlet? An outlet. Yeah. yeah. You're able to do things on the page that maybe, you you know, you kind of use that as like Robin said, an outlet for your ideas. I don't know if it's an outlet. I think it's the opposite. Like I should just be watching TV and that would probably be healthier. But if I'm spending, you know, 75% of my day just thinking about what's happening in Mm -hmm. New York or national politics at any given time, it ends up being the thing that I want to write about or that feels most relevant to write about. Yeah. It's extremely relevant to the world right now. Yeah. You're not hitting anything on the nose. You're not, you know, being super thinly veiled about anything, but it is a reminder to us this is the world that we're living in right now. Yeah, yeah, totally. I feel like I don't read enough or don't see enough lately as I would love to read more political fiction and not Mm -hmm. in the sense of like political espionage fiction, but there are novels where the political is personal or or something like that, but maybe with a larger scope Mm -hmm. and thinking about the kind of geopolitical world that we live in, foreign policy and things Mm -hmm. like that, which I feel like I don't engage or don't see or come across quite as much. So, you know, it was exciting to write something like that. I brought up like the novels of Graham Greene were really influential. And I think they're really like artful novels. They were kind of sold as at the time as more commercial, entertaining novels. But you look back at them and the writing is gorgeous. um, And they have really interesting themes. And they also had very much of a global outlook. You're citing Graham Greene there. And it seems like you're someone who's been a a reader for a long time, right? What were you like as a, a young reader? And when did you kind of make that discovery that you also wanted to put your words on the page? Yeah, absolutely. This library plays such a huge role in that. We'd love to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) It was very exciting just to be invited to do this as growing up here, being part of like the Newberry Club in the old library here. I would come in all the time. I was excited to read and then get prizes. And it was always a habit of my mom to take me here every single week when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I think I fell out of that love of reading for a long time. I don't think of myself as a great reader in school. I ended up dropping out of school. And I think about the library and specifically the Monroe County Library System being like a college for me or, you know, a continued education course where I spent years coming here just devouring everything. I would come to Pittsburgh Library every week and then read The New Yorker and Harper's and The Atlantic and just try to learn and take things in. And without this library system, I I don't know where I'd be today. I think it has played like this central role in my life. I cannot say enough good things about how important it's been to me from childhood to now. Well, that's That's awesome. (laughs) That always like makes my day Uh, people. 
we're like eh, we're done here now yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the dream you know yeah. that's that's why we like to do what we do why yeah. we're here it makes such a huge difference i can remember specific things that i wrote here i remember you mentioning mid-american review i remember that story writing it here on scrap paper wow right by the wow. computer and having just an idea while i was in this library and then that became that story just going to different libraries, having memories of the specific books that changed my life there, or stories or things that I've written there. You know, everyone has kind of left an imprint. Cool. I think we are lucky to live in an area with a really outstanding library system. Mm-hmm. And a, a community that supports the library, too. Yes, and that, too. Absolutely. Which is amazing. Yeah. Just to get back to the book, just so smart. And it's, you don't want to say like laugh out loud funny, but it like just hits you just right. So the, the dictator's wife, in a conversation uh, with the main character... The main character asks, we start filming soon. He's talking about, you know, having to do this for the dictator. And he asks, do you have any tips for lighting or shooting him? And she goes, aim for the heart and don't miss. And that was just, for me, I was just like, damn, that's so good. And like, I just had to put the book down. She's a really (laughs) interesting character. I really like her a lot. Mm -hmm. What I love about, you know, writing books and this whole process are these little lines and bits that when you're reading, they maybe, I don't know, it's maybe to most people that feel probably like throwaway stuff. But to me, it, it feels like the author's uh, personality is coming out on the page. And, mm-hmm. and it for me, it gives every book, every good book, that is, its unique feel or flavor. So I just want to read a few. Mayonnaise strikes me as strange, but then I remember we dip our fries in tomato paste and sugar. I loved that one. I know. I always think that about this so too because I don't really like ketchup. And I'm always like, it's just like red sugar paste. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I could see like you were like, just get that in there. Um, some other stuff. So it's, there's a bit uh, where our main character's in the pool, right? And he's there's he's watching a family and they're playing and they wave and he thinks they're waving to him oh and he waves back and then he realizes they're waving to like a family member behind him and like everyone I experiences felt that. Yes, exactly. It's everyone like, oh, had that experience. Yeah, I just turned yeah. red. And, yeah, it killed me. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I like that. And just to kind of wrap up the section of our chat here. Robin and I were talking before about how it's less than 150 mm-hmm. pages of the book, but it does everything it needs to do, right? Yeah, and you don't lose anything in the characters no. at all, or in the scenes, in the in the story. You don't lose anything, and you allow the reader to create the the space in in their minds. Yeah, and it, maybe it sticks with you more when it's you're doing that, when you're yeah. allowing us the space yeah. to do that. I think about white space a lot, okay. and the idea of negative space being significant in and of itself. What is omitted? What's left off? And leaving the reader to start to fill in that blank and create their own connective tissue between the scenes, not linger too much time on things that feel like filler or transitions, and that everything feels distilled to its essence, and then leave the reader to kind of fill in the space around that. Yeah. So this is a good segue for the second half of this interview. Would you ever write a long book? And more importantly, do you have any favorite epics? Are there books that you're like, all right, well, that was worth the 800 pages, I If I could figure out how to write a long book, I would love to write a long book. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if it suits my style, but I really love 2666 by uh, Roberto Bolaño. That's a favorite. I love Olga Tokarczak's novels, uh, the recent Nobel laureate, and she has some longer ones that I think are really fantastic. So definitely not opposed to a longer book, but also like to balance it out with the short ones. So what are you currently reading? Did you read anything recently? Anything you finished that you really liked? Yeah, I have two books out from the library right now. One is Duplex by Katherine Davis, which came out, I think, about a decade ago. And somebody had brought it up recently that I should read it. And it's very strange and layered and surreal in an interesting way. And the language is just gorgeous. And then I just took out 
Matthew Salisi's book, The Sense of Wonder, okay. which folks have been talking about. And I was curious to take a look at that one. It's a newer one? It's new. It just came out, I think, a few weeks ago. Okay, cool. Hmm. Add that awesome. to the list. Yeah, for sure. On that same kind of note, is there a book that you've read recently in the last year or so that, you know, that just stays with you? Yeah, I could bring up two books. One is St. Sebastian's Abyss by Mark Haber, which I think was a gray wolf book. And it kind of reminds me of, I really love Thomas Bernhardt, the Austrian writer. And this has a kind of absurdist recursive logic that's really appealing to me. It's also a very short novel, very, very funny. And I think it's fantastic. And then I have a friend, Lisa Chen, who wrote a book, Activities of Daily Living, which is was on a number of top 10 lists like Publishers Weekly and New Yorker. And it's absolutely fantastic about a person who is infatuated, obsessed with this conceptual artist, who is a real conceptual artist and almost living in his shadow. And he becomes this kind of significant figure in her life, despite not actually knowing him. But it's a beautifully written book. Excellent. And then are there any books that you really love that nobody knows about that you wish more people knew about? Oh, that's a fun question. Yeah. So the one that comes to mind is Charles Portis's Masters of Atlantis. And folks know Charles Portis maybe from like Westerns that he's done. He did like True Grit and a number of like gritty type of novels, I would say. And then Masters of Atlantis is this weird detour that not many people know or have read that is kind of like based on L. Ron Hubbard's creation of Scientology. And it's like a fictional history of the creation of a cult. And it is extremely strange, absurd, almost written as like a screwball comedy. And he pulls it off. I did not think he would pull off this novel, but it is enormously fun, weird, just a one-offer from his career and does not really align with other stuff that he's written. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds really yeah, good. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, me too. All right, so you talked about your own writing and the, the idea of negative space and the white space and, and leaving it to the reader's imagination. So for you, though, when you're reading, what elements do you connect with most in a work of literature? I think Franny Padilla gave the same answer, which is looking for prose and sentence. I really look for... Some interesting concept that I've never read before, and I love a good sentence. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely looking for good prose, which is going to keep me reading. Good. It's mm. a good answer. Is there a book that, if you could, require every American to read? Is there one that comes to mind? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> you sent me some of these questions in advance to kind of mull over. Uh, maybe that's a look behind the curtain. But, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, one that came to mind is Eduardo Galeano's Mirrors, which is a very poetic and fairly long history of the world, but from the perspective of the unseen, the overlooked, yeah. the kind of trod on. So starting from thousands of years ago to present day, telling a story of the kind of history that has not been told, almost like if we tell the history of the victor, this may be the history of the loser. Interesting. It feels like it is expansive and world building and gorgeous. It works on so many levels and I cannot recommend it enough. Mm -hmm. All right. We got time for one more question. So you have your own podcast now and you can invite any one writer living or dead to the show to interview them and just talk books. Who's the person? I don't think I can give one person. That's okay. Mm -hmm. we, okay. People cheat on this question all the time. Yeah. I would probably say James Baldwin or Susan Sontag of right. people that feel like incredible thinkers and chroniclers of like the human experience mm -hmm. and would just be endlessly interesting yeah. to 
converse with. That'd be a killer episode. Yeah, I, you see the the Baldwin stuff gets posted a lot. I see it. Yeah. I've seen it all the time lately in the past couple of weeks. And I, every time I see a video, you can't help but just stop and. Yeah, I love. Always incredible. Always mm-hmm. says something that like just stops yeah. me dead in my tracks. Yes, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Well, Ravi, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, this was amazing. Yeah, thank you for supporting the library and saying yeah. such kind things about us. We love having you here, Pittsburgh's own Ravi Mangla. This book is available in the MCLS. Yeah. Uh, put a hold on it. Go grab it wherever it's available. It's really stuck with both of us, I yeah, know. Yeah, so absolutely. Thanks for writing it, and uh, thanks for doing what you do. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you to Meldez, producer, librarian, and magician. Joy Brown, RIT director. Laura, April, and Hillary for our fantastic theme music. The Town of Pittsburgh and the Friends and Foundation for support of the library and giving us the ability to do such awesome projects. And to the New York Times for the use of the Buy the Book column. Find the library on Facebook and Instagram at Pittsburgh Community Library and keep up to date on everything happening at PCL by subscribing to our newsletter. Subscribe to hear new episodes every month on your favorite podcast app.